this time, uh, Pastor Dave will be coming forward. He'll bring forth the message. And, uh, and uh, I pray that God has laid a powerful message on his heart for today, for each individual that is here. The children are dismissed for Children's Church. Praise the Lord. Someday, I hope you all get the privilege to do this. So, March 4th, right? We wanted to read the Bible together as a congregation. If you remember last year, about this time, we passed, actually it was the first part of March, we passed a clipboard around, and we said everybody who wants to read the Bible with us and commit to reading the Bible with us, if that's your heart, that's your desire, would you please consider signing this clipboard? I think we had something like 60 or 70 signatures yeah. on that, that day. You guys didn't know, and I didn't really think about it, but it's like a two and a half year plan we put ourselves on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, a few weeks back, we were like, wow, I was talking to a pastor, and I'm like, man, this is a long time. <laughs> So we're week 46 this week, am I, or 40, no, this coming week is 48. Last week's 47. Yes. So week 47 was 1 Chronicles 13 through 20 in the Old Testament, 1 Chronicles 13 through 20. And John chapter 5 and 6 in the New Testament. The hardest thing in the world, I think, is to narrow down what it is that God wants you to say in a particular moment. Do you agree? Yeah. We were praying out there uh, this morning before the service. And um, I just had this thought come into my head that God, tell me if you can, just give me an amen if you can identify with this. God is the God of, bet you didn't see that coming. Amen. <laughs> amen. <laughs> And I'm talking about good things, but sometimes some things appear to be bad at first, right? Yeah. Yes. If I had the time, I would read all of 1 Chronicles 13 and 20. And I'd read all of John chapter 5 verse 6. Or chapter 5 and 6. Because I don't think that I could say what I want to say better than what was already said on those pages. Right. But I'm going to try to summarize and just kind of pull some verses out. And hopefully, God will speak to you. Take a minute and think of one thing that we do, that you've seen, that you've observed, or that you personally do, that in your life, that you have demonstrated to God that you have made room for Him in your life. Just think about that. You don't have to answer it, just think about it. Just one thing that demonstrates to God, God, I want more of you in my life, and here's what I did to prove it. God is the God of, that you didn't see that coming. Last night I was at work with two men. We went through long periods of uncomfortable silence. <laughs> All the while I'm praying and going, God, what is this? This is different. 
the very end of the night, after 10 hours with these two, we get in the van, one of them says something, and then I have about 15 minutes to share a testimony of what Jesus has done in my life. I get back. I'm right back there praying this morning, and God, and I'm thinking about that. And I'm like, he's like, but you didn't see that coming. Yeah. No! I went through the whole night working with these guys going, God, when are you going to give me an opportunity to share about you? Because I don't want to step out and do something that I shouldn't do. I want him to lead me. Right? We ask God questions. We want him to lead us. Does that make sense? So when you're sitting there asking for hours and nothing's happening but uncomfortableness. And then finally he does something and you're like, thank you. He's the God of that you didn't see that coming. All right, so I want to say one thing before I really start what I want to do, too. None of us, not me, not you, really knows what God has planned for us. First Corinthians 12, 9 says, No eye has seen no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Isaiah 64.4 says there's no God like our God who works on behalf of those who wait for him. Jesus in John chapter 5 told the Pharisees that he was confronting Basically, this is my summary. If I'm Jesus, I'm going to do awesome stuff, and you're going to be amazed. But my Father is going to show me how to do even more awesome stuff, and you're really going to be amazed. Greater things, he said. And then later on, he looks at the disciples and says, you think what I'm doing is awesome? You're going to do greater things. And so when I say the possibility, we, do, we don't understand what God is going to do through us. We can't even imagine it. We can try. You can, can you imagine a whole city coming to Jesus, following you to church? Can you imagine that? Amen. Can you imagine you laying hands on people and them being healed of cancer, of different things? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a day when people are passing scriptures around your workplace? Roads are being named things from the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's the reality where I work on Fort Drum. Yeah. Believers have been praying for people in that place for so long that, that a few years ago, God renamed First Street, original army name, right? He renamed First Street Euphrates River Valley Road, one of the rivers that flowed out the Garden of Eden. Genesis. He renamed Fourth Street Tigris. One of the other rivers that flowed. And the Holy Spirit said, I have heard your cries concerning the people in this place, and I am going to answer you. I'm driving to work yesterday down my road. These people built a house, put a driveway on it, and put a sign. Blam! Right in the front, it says, Moses Lane. <laughs> About a month ago, I was at work. I look at ID cards. That's 90% of my job. Cars roll up. I check IDs, and away they go. You know, I give them the greeting of the day. I'm looking for bad people. You know, 
Sometimes we find them, sometimes we don't. But how many names? Prophets. Prophets God has raised up. These people that have the potential in their name alone. This person's named Elijah. This person's named Isaiah. This person's named Jeremiah. This is John. This is Mark. This is uh, Anna. This is uh, Rebecca. This is, you know, these people are coming through with these names. And sometimes when the Holy Spirit gets on me, I'm actually brave enough to say, ah, you're an Old Testament prophet. They look at you like you're from Mars. <laughs> it's true. We don't understand the things that God has planned for us. Now I'm going to go. So we're here today. This is the year 2020. We re rewind, you know, about 2,000 years. You're at the point of Jesus' ministry, right? Around the year AD 30, somewhere around in there, right? You rewind about another 2,000 years, and that's where we're at at 1 Chronicles, chapter 13. David has just recently become king. David is, did you ever hear this phrase? He was called a man after God's own heart. He gets put in as king, and one of the first things he does is say, you know what? We need to bring the ark of the presence of the Lord into Jerusalem because it was neglected under King Saul. The first thing that I want to do as king, David says, is bring the presence of God into the very center of our country, into our capital city, and give him a place of prominence that he deserves. This man understood what it was to live by the Spirit of God. You read that first chapter? It talks about this. He calls all the people of Israel together and he says, Hey, if it seems right to you and it's the will of the Lord, let's bring the ark back into Jerusalem. The people actually had the discernment and the wisdom to look and say, You know what, king? The time is right for us to do that. And they did it. And in the midst of this huge celebration, they're dancing and they're leaping and they're whirling. And they prepared a cart and they put the ark on it and they're wheeling it towards Jerusalem. All of a sudden, it gets to a place where the cart stumbles a little bit. And this guy named Uzzah is next to it and he puts out his hand. You and I might have done the exact same thing. I don't want this to fall. He puts out his hand and he touches it, either the ark or the cart, I'm not sure which, and God strikes him dead right there on the spot. Blam! Can you imagine in the middle of a worship service? <laughs> Somebody who's in a very visible position just plop. <laughs> Everything stopped. Everything stopped. Scripture would record that David's first response was anger. Anger and shock and fear. His second response was fear. He said David was now terrified of the Lord. And he said, how can I bring the ark into my city? Who's going to be next? <laughs> Pointing at Uzzah. It's kind of interesting. He goes into a little bit of a season right there where... They take the ark and they're, and I wonder how they decided this, right? 
I mean, it's God's providence. There's this guy named Obed Edom. He happens to be a Levite. They took the ark and they pushed it over to his house. <laughs> I wondered for a little bit, I'm like, hmm, did David like this guy or not like this guy? He's like, maybe if somebody's going to be next, he'd be a good candidate, you know? <laughs> I don't think that's really what he was thinking. You know, it's a thought. You never know what's going through our heads, right? Oh, the ark stays there for three months, and God pours out his blessing and favor on the house of Obed-Edom. And during that time period, David realizes he's been established as king. It says so in the next one of the next couple of verses in 13, I think, or we might be into 14 now. <coughs> And the Philistines say, ah, we got a new king. His rule is going to be kind of weak. We know it's David. We've dealt with him before, and he's kicked our butts in the past. But we are going to go after him again. And so they attack. It's kind of interesting, because up to this point, like the record would show that David has had a relationship with God by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is on this man. He talks to God, and God talks to him. But for some reason, in these two battles, it goes and it mentions specifically that David asked the Lord what he should do. And then he waited for the answer. And when God spoke the answer, he obeyed. And it was almost like, God, do you want me to fight these people? The Lord said, yes, and I'm going to give you the victory. And a lot of us would be like, yeah, let's go get them. And he's like, but I want you to wait until this happens. And then go, and then you'll get the victory. In this time period, while the ark is over here, resting at somebody's house, David is fighting enemies. God is teaching him something. I'm thinking just because we forget, we have to be, you know, we all have to be taught things over and over because we forget, right? You ask the Lord for the answer. Wait for the answer. And then move on when he gives you the answer. There are times... <laughs> When he may very well call you to step out in faith in the spirit and just go. Because sometimes I feel like God backs up and says, I wonder what he'll do if I just stand here and watch for a while. I wonder what she'll do if I just back up a little bit and see, and see what happens. There's nothing recorded in scripture that says the Lord spoke to David and told him to bring the ark into Jerusalem. I think it was God that motivated the thought. But he didn't have a word. And so here you have him acting on something that he thought and believed that he should do because he loved God. And that's part of, part of, I think what Jesus meant when he said, a day is coming when worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. David had spirit. I think as you read this, you read into the next couple of chapters, you find out that he missed a little bit of the truth. I know it from chapter 15. When you go in and you start reading chapter 15, it says right here, oh. David now built several buildings for himself in the city of David. He also prepared a place for the ark of God. You know, it's the first time that's mentioned. Before, when he went to bring the ark in, it doesn't say he prepared a place. 
It just says he grabbed it and started had a celebration and called everybody and we we're gonna bring it. Now it says he prepared a place for it. And then he commanded no one except the Levites, might, the Levites, the priests, might carry the ark of God. The Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to serve him forever. And now we have take two. The reason why I think he was learning something through this is because the first time he had the spirit, and he had fire, and he had passion, and he had zeal, and he had love for God, and he stepped out and somebody died. And then he goes through battle and he learns, oh, I've got to ask and wait sometimes. Ask and wait. And you read a little further down here, Chapter 15, verse, uh, if I can see the number, 12. He's talking to the Levites. He said to them, you're the leaders of the Levite families. You must purify yourselves and all your fellow Levites so you can bring the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I've prepared for it. Because you Levites didn't carry the ark the first time, the anger of the Lord our God burst out against us. Now, right there, it sounds like he's pushing the blame off on them, right? The next sentence. We failed to ask God how to move it properly. <coughs> True, it was the Levites that were supposed to carry it. But we, as the leadership team, forgot to ask God how to move it properly. So really, David's saying the blame is on us. See, he had the spirit, but it wasn't until now that he had the truth. Truth is, you don't move the ark. The Levites move the ark. Because God said so. So the priests and the Levites purified themselves in order to bring the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to Jerusalem. And then the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with its carrying poles, which is the way they were supposed to, just as the Lord had instructed Moses, who lived about a thousand years before that. David also ordered the Levite leaders to appoint a choir of Levites who were singers and musicians to make joyful songs to the accompaniment of harps, lyres, and cymbals. And the next passage is all about the details of this. Here's a side note. There's all sorts of scriptures in here about the guy named Obed-Edom. The jobs he had, the things that he did in the temple, the things that he did in front of the ark. It's a good study if you want to look it up. I did at some point this week pray, God, I want to be like that guy. So God is the God of, uh, bet you didn't see that coming. You see, up until this point, what you have is you have David preparing a place for God in his kingdom. God already had a place in his heart, right? David already loved the Lord with all his heart, mind, soul, and his strength. Matter of fact, one of the scriptures there says that he was dancing with all of his might before the Lord. This guy knew what it was to love God. And it seems kind of one-sided, you think. David's preparing a place for the Lord in his heart. David's preparing a place for the presence of the Lord in his kingdom.
fast forward to uh, chapter 17. I started off today by saying none of us knows what God is going to do through our lives. I have no idea. Something happens in this chapter that I know David never dreamed of. And you can tell by his reaction when it happens. So beautiful. Earth-changing results. Actually, heaven and earth-changing results. Because of what was going on here. I'll read it to you. You can see if you can pick it up. When David was settled in his palace, he summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I'm living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the Ark of the Lord's Covenant is out there under a tent. Nathan replied to David, do whatever you have in mind, for God is with you. That's our attitude a lot of times, right? God's with us. We're destined to succeed. Even if we fail, we're going to succeed. Why? Because at the end of the book, the church wins. God wins through his people. But that same night, God says to Nathan the prophet, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord has declared. You are not the one to build a house for me to live in. I've never lived in a house. From the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day, my home has always been a tent, moving from one place to another in a tabernacle. Yet no matter where I've gone with the Israelites, I've never once complained to Israel's leaders, the shepherds of my people. I have never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? Now go and say to my servant, David, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies has declared. This is where it gets good. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people, Israel. He didn't see that coming. He was kind of shocked by that. I've been with you wherever you've gone. And I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. And now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth. You didn't see that coming. And I will provide a homeland for my people, Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they have in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people, Israel. And I will defeat all of your enemies. Furthermore, I declare that the Lord will build a house for you. Didn't see that coming. A dynasty of kings. For when you die and join your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, one of your sons, and I will make his kingdom strong. He's the one who will build a house. A temple for me. I will secure his throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. If you're thinking he's talking about Jesus here, you're absolutely right. Immediately, he would be talking about Solomon building the second temple. But in the future, he's talking about Jesus. You remember when Jesus got baptized? Remember when he was on the mountain, the father said, this is my son. This is my son. 
I will be his father, he will be my son. I will never take my favor from him as I took it from the one who ruled before you. I will confirm him as king over my house and my kingdom for all time, and his throne will be secure forever. And Jesus came here and lived the perfect life and was sacrificed on that cross for our sins, and he died. God raised him up and put him in a place of honor above everyone and everything. And secured his throne and his kingdom forever. And at least a piece of that was plugged into this right here 2,000 years before Jesus actually was walking on the earth. When the Lord said to David, now I will. So in the beginning, you look at it and you think, well, David's preparing this and David's preparing that and David's preparing this. And God says, hey, wait, let's rewind the clock a little bit. I prepared a place for you. And if we think for a second that our relationship with God is meant to be one sided where he does everything, that's not what this record shows. There's something about when God teaches us something and we pour it back out towards him that increases what he's doing in our future and in our lives. Remember the scripture that says, you know, um, give and it will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It's a good example of this. David was pouring out his heart. Everything that he had about him was preparing the way for the Lord to come into his kingdom and his life in a greater way. And God says, watch this. What you poured out towards me, I'm going to pour out towards you in a greater way that you cannot possibly imagine. If you thought that Jesus the Messiah was going to come through your family line, that'd be something. But he never even thought about that. Never saw it. Never saw it coming. <clears throat> Chapter 17, verse 16, it says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord <coughs> and prayed sat before the Lord, and he prayed, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? <clears throat> and now, O God, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty? You speak as though I were someone very great. What more can I say to you about the way you've honored me? You know what your servant is really like. <clears throat> Anybody else feel that? When God looks at you and he talks about you, 
stir up a feeling inside of us that says, man, you're talking about me like I'm somebody great. But how can that be? Because you know the real me. I'm not somebody great. I'm just me. But God says, you don't know what I've prepared for you. So your job in the meantime is to prepare a place for me in your life. that song ready, baby? I'm done. I just want to share one story. And then I just open up the altar. She's going to play a song. And uh, I'll tell you what. We're all called to prepare our lives for Jesus Christ and his presence and his Holy Spirit here in us. Got saved about 27 years ago. Somewhere along the way, I had a crisis of belief, and it was rooted in the music that I used to listen to. See, David can sing really well. He knows this. You can hold on a second, baby, until I get done. Um, I learned to sing from Pat Benatar, Iron Maiden, Ozzy Osbourne, ACDC, Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Michael Jackson, you know, anybody you can imagine, pretty much. They taught me to sing. My mother, my father. And there came a point where the Lord said, He was urging me. And in order to prepare more room in my life for what He was doing, I gave up all forms of secular music. When I confessed those things to the Lord, because they had formed the way I thought about the world, they had, those lyrics had formed, and I couldn't get them out of my head. When I confessed to those things, and I walked out of there after he delivered me from the things that were in me, from, those, from the things that I had listened to for decades, I didn't even know who I was. I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought, my God, who are you? Because without all that stuff in here, I had no idea who I was. I went through a two-year period of trying to figure out who in the world I was. You know, people today will say, well, what kind of music do you listen to or whatever? I said, well, I listen to music and I'm always looking for things that I can sing with God's people. And if it doesn't move me closer to Jesus or it doesn't touch me here and move me closer to Jesus, or it's not something that I feel like God is moving me and I can sing it and we can all move closer to Jesus, then it's not for me. That's something that he spoke to me that I had to do. It was a way for me to prepare a place in my life that only belonged to him. Amen. So when I asked you in the beginning to write down ways that you think that we prepare ourselves for the Lord, or to think about ways that we prepare ourselves for the Lord, I'm going to ask you again. In what way can you look at your life and prepare yourself for a greater presence of the Lord? So now she's going to play that. I'm done, officially. And if you want prayer, you want to spend time up here with the Lord, we're going to go, that song's like two or three minutes. And then we'll wrap it up. Prayer, come on up.
In the way.